Hello, this is episode 223. And in it, I'm going to be sharing one of year three's most popular episodes and continuing our celebration of five years of the Get It Right podcast. Now, this episode, it was from season 10 of the podcast, and that was called Industry Insiders. Season 10 is actually a really great season on the podcast. It's packed full of conversations that I had with industry professionals from both Australia and the USA. And if you haven't listened to it, I'd really encourage you to check that out because it had a fantastic range of guests and they just had loads of expertise to share from a really diverse background of knowledge. Now, this rebooted episode, it was actually episode four of that season. And this one's a conversation with Jenny Edwards and Sarah Lebner from Lighthouse Architecture and Science. These incredible women are both passionate about great design and sustainable homes, and also achieving both in an affordable and accessible way. And they're both amazing in the advocacy and the education work that they do in the industry to assist both homeowners and industry colleagues well beyond their client base. It's a great conversation that's jam-packed with actionable info. Now, you can grab a full transcript of this episode as a free PDF download. That wasn't available the first time that I released this episode, so make sure you grab that. I've also included a whole heap of helpful links and resources related to this topic. So you can get that by heading to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 223. That's the numbers 223. So be sure to grab that PDF transcript. You can file it away and you can review this episode as needed. Now let's dive in. Welcome to the Get It Right podcast. I'm your host, Amelia Lee from Undercover Architect. With over 25 years industry experience, I've worked with loads of homeowners like you to create family homes that work, feel great and that you feel great in. I'm a wife and a mum to three kids who, thanks to our own renovations, they all learned to climb ladders before they walked. And I'm a registered architect who is passionate about you feeling informed, educated and empowered as you design, build or renovate your home. Now, if you're up for some frank and open conversation about the true nitty gritty of designing, building and renovating based on professional and personal experience across hundreds and hundreds of homes, well, you're in the right place. Undercover Architect is an award-winning online business and resource that began in mid-2014. And it's all about teaching you how to create a fantastic, feel-good family home. One that works for you now and into the future one that is sustainable and affordable and that helps you live a great lifestyle both in and beyond your home. So whether you're renovating or building, whoever you're working with and whatever your dreams, your location or your budget, consider Undercover Architect your secret ally in helping and teaching you how to get it right. Now before we jump into this podcast episode, a quick shout out to my sponsors. Today's podcast episode is brought to you by me and my free online workshop, Your Project Plan. I actually created this online workshop because I so regularly see a lot of time and money get wasted in renovation and building projects. And this happens largely because homeowners just don't know what they're supposed to be doing next. So that makes it really easy to make missteps, to take the wrong advice, or to actually skip important parts of your project that will catch you out down the track or worse, mean that you miss out on things that you really wanted in your home. Learn how to avoid serious and expensive mistakes, what to do next, whatever stage you're at in your project, and also access some great bonuses too by heading to undercoverarchitect.com forward slash project plan. And that's project plan spelled P-R-O-J-E-C-T-P-L-A-N. That's undercoverarchitect.com forward slash project plan. 
take the guesswork out of the next steps you need to take in your project journey and sign up today for free for this great online workshop. And now let's get on with the episode. Here we go. Gosh, it excites me to see how many people are now taking sustainability seriously and creating their future homes. I'm sure though it has something to do with the kinds of amazing humans that are in the undercover architect community. Because I have people tell me all the time that the market isn't asking for sustainable homes and hence they're not doing them. Yep, still. It's late 2021. We've got all the warnings that we have about climate change and the urgency with which we need to act. And industry colleagues are telling me that you, the homeowner, don't want sustainability. Of course, I keep telling them that's not my experience in the slightest. So for those of us who are passionate about sustainability and home design, renovating and building, we have to keep asking for it, demanding it and making ourselves heard. The residential construction industry, it is a slow, slow, slow moving beast that in many parts, not all parts, but in many parts, it really resists innovation. So I'm really glad that you're here and you're learning more about sustainability for your future home because it's customer demand that will actually keep driving change and it'll enable us to create better homes that not only make our own lives better, but help make the planet better as well. Now, this conversation with Jenny Edwards and Sarah Lebner from Lighthouse Architecture and Science is a great one. I've got the full episode in here, okay? So you can hear their bios and you can learn more about them if you're not familiar with them or the work that they do. Listen to this episode as they provide actionable tips and methods for you to craft a project team and an experience so that you can achieve a sustainable home in an affordable way. Let's see the episode now. Lighthouse Architecture and Science is a unique architectural practice that's based in Canberra and they are founded on a philosophy of simplifying the sustainable design process to create comfortable, clever, energy efficient homes, homes that are light filled and light footed. Lighthouse Architecture and Science designs space-efficient and energy-efficient homes to suit Canberra's climate. Through excellent design and scientific testing, they create homes that feel spacious and comfortable and function beautifully on a smaller-than-average floor area. Many of the homes that they design actually achieve energy efficiency ratings of eight-plus stars. So you'll possibly know that six stars is the current minimum standard. They're regularly getting eight-plus. And these houses require half as much energy per year to heat and cool them to comfortable temperatures compared to their counterparts parts in the six-star home. And that's a massive thing for Canberra, given how extreme Canberra's climates can be, both in being hot and cold. Now, their vision is to make an energy-efficient housing mainstream and be a beacon for positive change in the residential construction industry. As a result, they are committed to helping people with a mainstream budget achieve their dream of an excellent, comfortable and affordable home. Lighthouse provides a unique, integrated service with an experienced team of architects, scientists and cost estimator. And this collaborative approach means that you can expect clear and consistent communication from the outset about the design of your home, its energy performance, timeframes and costings, materials, finishes and inclusions. Now, Jenny Edwards, who was my first guest on this episode, she's actually an ACT licensed building energy efficiency assessor, and she's the owner, managing director, and lead scientist for Lighthouse Architecture and Science. And I think this is one of the unique factors of this business because it's an architectural practice and there's a scientist at the helm, and it completely reframes the business's focus, practice regime, and design methodologies to be aligned with their core philosophy. 
Now, it was in the renovation of Jenny's own home in 2007 that she first saw a blower door test on television. And if you listen to our episodes in season eight on Passive House, you'll know that a blower door test is where the house is sealed up during construction. So it's fully lined. It's then sealed up and air is blown in to test where leaks are in the building before it's internally lined so that they can be all of those gaps can be properly sealed as part of its energy efficiency performance. Now, Jenny also discovered thermal cameras around this time. And as a scientist, she could see that the two would be a great match in showing how a home was managing leakage and temperature. Now, at the time, Jenny discovered that there was only one blower door machine in Australia. And so she left her job. She went to New Zealand to buy a blower door (laughs) machine. She trained in a large-scale air leakage testing, uh, you know, facility at the Wisconsin Energy Institute in the USA. She learned all about thermal performance modeling in Australia and then started a business doing house energy efficiency rating and performance testing. Jenny's been personally awarded for her work in the industry and her businesses and projects, uh, including her own home. And, um, and they've all been recognized and awarded for their design and sustainable performance. So my other guest who partners Jenny in this podcast interview is Sarah Lebner. And Sarah is a lead architect at Lighthouse Architecture and Science. And she describes herself as a country girl who only wants to change the world. So Sarah originally joined Lighthouse to focus on developing a modular housing design approach with the aim to make affordable, beautiful and energy efficient homes more accessible to the general public. And the business evolution of Lighthouse during Sarah's employment has given her valuable insight into collaborative approaches and unique practicing models for architects. Sarah now leads the architecture and design team at Lighthouse, maintaining a highly collaborative and collective group approach to design, documentation, advice during construction, professional development and integration with the science team. Sarah was shortlisted for an international design competition called Capathetical. She's tutored undergraduate and postgraduate architecture students in design, practice and sustainable technology at the University of Canberra. And she also consults on the design advisory panel for Canberra Metro. And she's participated in volunteer construction programs in Kenya and the Solomon Islands. She's also recently added another project, which is a business and a resource called My First Architecture Job. And that was actually how I found uh, or first encountered Sarah and then was able to meet Jenny and learn more about Lighthouse Architecture and Science and the amazing work that they do. Now, my first architecture job, this is Sarah's latest project, and it's allowing her to bring her mentoring skills and energy for helping architectural students kickstart their career to a wider audience. My first architecture job is a resource Uh, to help bridge the gap for graduate architects between university and practice by providing knowledge, resources and connections and to help them find employment, learn the basics of architecture practice and fast track the first five years of their career. I, I just can't tell you how excited I am to introduce you to Jenny and Sarah and to share them with you and their incredible knowledge and advice and resources in making a sustainable home an affordable one and really helping you with actionable tips so that whether you're building or renovating, you can understand what it's going to take to create a high-performing home Uh, using traditional and regular builders and construction methodology, the kinds of things that you need to ask, what you need to look out for, and how you really need to make this happen in your own project. So let's dive into the interview. Well, Jenny and Sarah, I am so excited to have you both here. I was talking uh, before we started just about how Oh, when I started sort of reading through the the blog on uh, Lighthouse Architecture and Science's website and just looking at the wealth of information there about getting fantastic 
climate sensitive, comfortable, thermal, you know, well performing homes from an architectural response that is about affordability, that is about accessibility, that is about mainstream construction. I was like, why, why is this not everywhere? <laughs> so I was just so, I, and I, I mean, I've had such fantastic feedback from the season I did called A Simple Guide to a Sustainable Home. So I think this is going to be an incredibly awesome compliment to that information. There's a lot of the UA community that just are devouring this information, really implementing it to change the way that they go about doing their building and renovation projects. I'm so excited about what's coming in the next few years for housing because I can see a groundswell of uh, understanding that this is a really uh, huge opportunity that we have to make a massive dent in the uh, improvement of the building industry and and in uh, in helping the climate overall. And so to be able to introduce you guys to the UA community is just going to be brilliant. So uh, the, my questions are quite involved because obviously you guys have got an incredible amount of research around what you do and those types of things. So I will, um, if anybody's watching this on YouTube, you will see me read some of the questions. <laughs> so, but I think um, I think that you know I'll be putting all of the resources in the show notes and on the blog because there's just so much to learn from what you guys are doing and how you've set up your business. So Jenny, I wanted to start with you because your your business is actually unusual in the fact that you're the director of an architectural practice, but you're not an architect. And uh, Lighthouse has produced many award-winning architectural homes and projects. Uh, and they're also incredible performers in energy efficiency. And it actually feels like like what you've set up as a model feels like the right way to run an architectural practice, you know, and it, and it, if we actually want to build homes that change the way that we we have homes that perform, like this seems to me like the winning formula, you know, what made you actually stay committed? Because I can imagine it's been pretty challenging. You've gone against the grain. What made you stay committed to practicing this way as a great way to deliver homes rather than being a separate consultancy to the architectural industry? Sure. Um, I guess I was really convinced early on it could work. And I mean, I was a consultant um, separate, separately initially, but an opportunity came up to collaborate um, with an architect and builder um, in business format. And and I could see immediately that there was it's a huge hole in, in, you know, in the market offering. So I was very convinced. I come from an interdisciplinary research background and I have a love of architecture and I've lived in Canberra alone. I've lived in 12 different houses, you know, and I've moved, moved around and lived in lots of houses. So I guess I feel like I've done my personal research about how appalling the, you know, the quality of housing in Australia leaves a lot to be desired. So I was really confident it could work and we very quickly um, demonstrated that it does work. Um, so we've got 77 completed projects across Canberra now and another you know, 30 or so in construction or in design or more than that in fact. Um, so it just makes sense. Home is, you know, it sounds corny but home is where the heart is and I just firmly believe everybody has a right to a high quality home and that doesn't mean a grand or large or expensive home. It just means a well-designed home. Because we all dwell on we all know those horrible, cold, dark houses in winter that make us feel miserable and sick, and those hot sweat boxes in summer. So we know bad housing is not good for us, but good housing can actually have really positive impacts on our physical and mental health, and everybody has a right to that. It's as simple as that. Yeah, I think, and to me, the equity of access really excites me about what you guys are doing, that there's, a, there's almost a demand 
for the industry to understand that we don't have to do the lowest common denominator, that we don't have to just deliver rubbish. We don't, you know, that's not what affordable looks like. It can look better than that. And I think that, you know, for me, I know Undercover Architects always been about teaching homeowners to demand better from the industry so that we can actually deliver a better outcome and make it more available to people and really raise, I feel like a lot of architects are serving that very sort of top edge and if we can actually raise what is the expectation from housing generally around the world you know then then it improves everything for everyone you know so I think that um, I, it really excites me how you guys have been able to demonstrate really effectively in built projects that this is possible so now Sarah you're an architect you're a registered architect so what actually attracted you to working in a business like Lighthouse you know, especially as their lead architect, it's a big responsibility. Um, you're the nominated architect. So, you know, and I, like when I first thought about it, I thought, well, if I had a, a, a scientist as a boss, would that actually cramp my style as a designer? Would that, you know, would I, you know, would I be constantly beholden to getting the data right, getting, losing the creativity of the process and those types of things? Were you worried about that at all? How did, how did you sort of feel in terms of taking on, on this role? Yeah, so I actually joined the company um, when we were a slightly different model, um, when we were still training under Jigsaw Housing. And at that stage, there was a architect, scientist and builder, director. So I came into that model as a graduate, which was just the dream for a graduate to really learn so intimately, not just from an architect, but to have science and construction there as well. And I, I definitely was nervous when I came in that science and construction might overrule architecture or that perhaps my the knowledge of those areas would be taken away from me um, because there were these other experts on the team. But really the opposite could not have been more true. I think uh, when you're working in such a collaborative environment, you learn all that same information without having to do all that groundwork yourself. So I was picking up fantastic science and construction knowledge um, in such a short space of time. And then what happens is, is the same thing happens in reverse. So um, the scientists and the construction members of the team were also then witnessing and learning to appreciate design. So um, it was really well respected, actually. And there was always fantastic debate, you know, about um, uh, if anything ever did clash. But uh, I think as you'll get a sense from Jenny and I, architecture and science go hand in hand so much. So there's not actually that many points that come up where where we do have to battle it out a little bit. Um, so then I only stepped into the role of lead architect in 2015 when we restructured um, to Lighthouse Architecture and Science. So um, through growth, we, we split with um, construction and um, the former architecture director went off to be a builder as well. Um, so that was when I, I stepped into um, that role uh, and, and I was growing our modular design concept at that stage. So part of learning about the sites and the construction and the architecture altogether was as a firm we were asking really big questions about how can we mediate between the efficiencies and shortcomings of the project home industry compared to uh, custom architectural design. So uh, in short, we we developed a system that was pre-designed uh, elements, joinery and selections, bringing in that efficiency, but could still be arranged um, to suit each 
site, um, climate, budget, and um, and brief for the house. Um, so I was developing that um, and then stepped into the lead architect role and um, we've really just grown architecture and science from there. Fantastic. Yeah, I, I know personally I've had the benefit of working inside that interdisciplinary sort of team-based approach and you just learn well, I think what you learn as an architect and designer is that you actually have to argue the merits of your design on really functional, pragmatic foundations, you know, and it's not just about, well, it looks pretty, so I want it, you know. It's actually about this is going to make the life in this home better, this is going to be easier to build, this is going to be the same to build as it would be that way, but it's actually going to, you know, um, be nicer to have around you, going to feel better to touch, feel better to interact with. And so I think it's actually a fantastic training ground as a designer um, to know that you're not, you can't just do frilly aesthetic kind of unnecessary things. And to me, that's actually what architecture is about. It's about design that makes your life better, that is, is has core fundamental reason for existing and um, and is beautiful at the same time. So I think for me that's the the winning winning um, result. So it's just really really fantastic. Now Jenny, I'm going to read this out because this is a, a lengthy little setup for this question, but I think it's um I think it's really exciting for homeowners to understand just what's possible for their homes. Because when I read these stats, I was blown away. You know, all the UA community are. Uh, in the process, starting their building or renovation projects, so they're sitting in this bucket of data that um, this report's talking about. So, Jenny, you were actually invited to be a volunteer member of the Residential Technical Advisory Group in mid-2017 for a project that was called the Building Code Energy Performance Trajectory Project, and it involved the Sustainable – it's a mouthful, isn't it? It involved the Sustainable Built Environment Council and Climate Works Australia – and it was described as an industry-led initiative seeking improvements to energy requirements in the National Construction Code, which is Australia's building code that all construction has to perform to and houses have a specific class within that code. Now, what was amazing when I read this report was that it stated that 58% of Australia's buildings in 2050 will be built after 2019, after this year. So more than half of the buildings that we will have in 2050 are going to be built from now on which means there is huge potential for us to impact the performance and the environment through better energy requirements. And these energy requirements that we currently have, they have not been updated since 2010. So, which I, I was like, I remember them being updated. Didn't feel that long ago, <laughs> but it's, it's amazing that it's not been touched since then. And electricity prices have doubled in that time. So detached housing is actually going to comprise 64% of that new construction between 2019 and 2050. So almost two thirds. So every homeowner has a huge opportunity to seriously change the landscape of energy use and efficiency in our country. And that just excites me so much. We all feel like we're just doing one home at a time and we really can't make a dent, you know, but that to me is data that just proves that this is possible. And there's some sectors of the industry that are really pushing back on this, largely because they know it's going to dramatically dent their profit margins. They're going to have to build better houses with higher star ratings. So I would love you to talk through this just in terms of what the average home owner who's going about either choosing a home off the plan, building a custom design home, renovating their house, you know, and they're trying to do it on a budget, you know, really stretching themselves to make it happen. What can they really do in this scenario? What can they be asking from the people that they're working with or what can they avoid doing? You know, is it enough for them to just to say, I want an eight star home and go from there? What are your suggestions and recommendations for them? 
Um, certainly not to settle for six stars because, as you've expressed, we're all frustrated that you know, six stars been the standard for such a long time. And um, we've certainly demonstrated that eight star is, is quite easy to achieve, even in a challenging climate like Canberra. So, yes, aim, aim above six stars. Um, but to do that, um, you need to get your builder on board. You need to let them know that you do want a, a higher performance home. And it, but it doesn't necessarily have to have huge impacts on costs. So while there is that big opposition you mentioned from um, big sectors in the industry that will argue that it's all about cost, we would argue it's not. It's about investing upfront in better design, design for your site and for your climate. And with the project home builder, that is harder, but there are still opportunities um, to perhaps reorient a plan on, on a block um, and to rethink the windows is, is a big thing. Um, we stress that um, glazing in a house is a huge, uh, a huge contributor to its thermal performance in a positive way and in a negative way. And so our new homes tend to have, depending on your client's own, but certainly in Canberra, tend to have more glass than they should have. So in some instances, thinking really carefully about where you place windows um, and thinking really carefully about the size of windows can actually decrease the upfront cost. Um, design it right so it works well, you get a beautiful light-filled home. We're sitting in my home right now and it's, it's beautiful and full of natural light. That actually has a smaller glazing to floor area ratio than is typical. But anyway, I'll stop waffling about glazing. Um, basic things like insulation levels, you know, there are minimum standards and the minimum standards for insulation in Australia are actually pretty good. There isn't a lot of value going above that, but you want to make sure the insulation is installed well. So one of the things you can say to your builder is that you would like to do a physical inspection of the insulation once it's installed in the walls, harder in the ceiling. But you could also get someone to do a thermal imaging assessment of the insulation installed, or at least threaten to, is the other thing I say to people. Tell them you're going to, even if you don't. Um, so that you know you get your insulation installed without gaps, because just 5% gaps equates to a halving of the, the effectiveness of your insulation. So that's really, yeah. Um, and that's really common, I should say, in, in houses with um, ducted heating and cooling systems and uh, recessed lights, it's frequently you get above 5% gaps in insulation. So you're paying for your R5 back, but you might only get, be getting R2 performance. So that's another thing, you know, designing so that you don't have lots of holes in your ceiling. Do you actually need a ducted heating and cooling system that runs through your ceiling? Do you need lots of downlights? Because all of those things do impact on the thermal performance of your home. And not having them actually saves you quite a bit of money. Um, uh, and air tightness is one of my other passions. Um, so making our building envelopes more airtight, but not to a crazy level. Again, we use standard construction. And we just design carefully um, those things I've mentioned already about not having holes in your ceiling. Um, we have a lot of wall-mounted lights or combined ceiling fans and lights so that we have very few holes in the ceiling. Um, and just letting the builder know that you want you want that internal gyprock lining of your home to be sealed really well. You can get a blower door test or an air leakage test done at the end of construction, um, but it's also something that you can, you have to, I encourage clients to be the champion for their building envelope. Everyone should be a building envelope nerd like me. Um, but it's really simple. It's actually very simple stuff, really cost-effective simple stuff. Um, and a lot of builders aren't... Uh, their opposition is because of their lack of awareness. Um, when I do workshops with the builders, they're all really quite surprised at actually how simple it is. So 
find a building you can communicate with, develop that relationship and work together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome advice. And all that is really actionable and very simple to implement too. So none of that is asking extraordinary measures from the builder. It's just good quality building methodology and understanding the implications of some of those selections on the performance of your home. So that's great advice, Jenny. Thank you. Now, Sarah, as a lead architect, you know, actually designing homes, how do you go about designing homes with this type of focus? You know, how do you collect the brief from the client, work through that design concept and test energy efficiency along the way? You know, how does that science process, because I say to homeowners, it's really good to get an energy efficiency assessor on board early in your team make sure that that testing is an iterative process the worst thing that people do is they kind of design this concept and then it's just at the building approval stage that they actually get the energy efficiency sort of tested how how do you guys do this differently in the process particularly you as an architect guiding a client through that yeah so i mean when we're talking about science we we can we can talk about the physics uh, and and that side of things and a lot of people can get really obsessed with that side of things but we have a really holistic approach together and actually the two best things you can do to do a more sustainable home is number one build less home so design a house that will function on a smaller footprint. Uh, And then the second thing you can do is to obviously suit the site and suit the orientation. So the things that that Jenny has said, design it so that that winter sun is welcomed in to warm the house and that summer sun is shielded. So while it can be very fashionable to talk about the physics side of things, our, our integrated approach does really say, well, first of all, let's get the design right. Uh, and, and then we can um, work on those other things. So our process is really um, once Jenny has met with initial clients and um, checked that they're the right match for, for us, and it's really funny, Jenny does the initial meeting because the architects can get really sidetracked with starting to design, <laughs> as I'm sure you understand. So this is why you should have a non-architect run your business. <laughs> Um, so once we know we're a good match, um, then the architect will go out to the site and we'll work really hard to interrogate that first brief. And our um, design philosophy is really centred on um, the fact that, yes, the client's lifestyle might inform the brief they give us, but we really need to remember that the house that we then deliver for the clients will inform their future lifestyle. So um, often clients might be a bit surprised that we do challenge them on a lot of um, things that they might have asked for, um, and that's that's really the service that people come to respect, um, so that we can um, do something that is going to create a better, more equitable future for them. The building physics part is then more tangible and, and woven in through the process. So right from that early concept stage, Jenny's um, simulating the home in its location. We're optimising windows and eaves and materials and floor coverings. And if clients have questions about um, tossing up between concrete or covering it with a timber flooring, um, Jenny can then quantify that in terms of energy and cost throughout a year. So it really helps clients feel confident that we're we're optimising and um, balancing everything together. And then at the end of the project, um, uh, so the architects are involved during construction uh, and then our science team will come out as well to um, do that insulation check 
but most importantly do a, um, a thermal imaging and air leakage test together. So checking that the insulation is installed well and um, often even with our experienced builders there might be little things that are then identified that we can patch up. Um, for example, a, a plumber had recently left a hole somewhere that the builder wasn't aware of. So being able to identify that and close that up will make a noticeable difference in the client's comfort and um, energy bills over the next little while. So it's a worthwhile investment. And similarly with the air leakage, um, it's not just about working out what the final result of that house is, but that reinforms us as architects and reinforms the builders. So it's this nice feedback loop so that we all understand it and we all understand the strengths and weaknesses of a home and, and can put that back into our future projects. And that I usually start by saying, it's interesting, I got led down the building physics line there, but I usually start by saying smaller, smaller really is the, the key to sustainability. And I do stress that to people before we get into all that physics stuff, let's look at the design, let's think what do you actually need to live comfortably? Because you know, do you need the media room? Do you need the walk-in room? Really? You know, do you want to heat and cool and clean all those extra spaces? So um, it is, we fundamentally stress that the reason our houses perform so well is not because of the science, or it's not just because of the science, it is about the great design. And, and I guess I'm quite proud that I I, um, you know, I walk the talk. You know, I, I live in a 150 square metre home with two teenage boys and a dog and my partner, and it's a four bedroom, two bathroom. It's got the ability to split into two little homes down the track. Um, it's beautiful, and as a result, I've got lots of garden around me too, which is, is gorgeous on a small block. So, um, yes, yeah, smaller. I really encourage people to um, to go smaller. You, you won't it's such a good point. It's what I tell people all the time that that quality over quantity is actually what will change your everyday life every time. And it's that thing that instead, I think when homeowners approach this, they know it's a big investment. They know that they're planning on doing it, particularly the UA community. They're doing their long-term forever family homes. And it's, there's this, oh, we might as well just in case mentality, you know, and it is that thing of like, oh, look, whilst we're here, why don't we have that extra space? We may need it down the track. And so, and it does, it just balloons and balloons and balloons. And then they get to that point of disappointment and demoralization where they find out that it's over their budget. It takes a lot of discipline and it takes a designer to really be guiding that process. I find it as a designer and an architect, you have to be willing to say to your client, challenge them. Like you're saying, Sarah, really push back and say, do you really need this? Like, ultimately could we just put make the, the main living room slightly bigger put some awesome storage in it you know it can then traverse through being toddlers and babies where you just want to be able to pack everything away quickly through to being teenagers you know do, I had somebody say to me the other day they couldn't afford to do well, they wanted to be able to close off the main living space in case um, they didn't want a second one they wanted to close off the second the main living space so that when their kids are teenagers they can basically shut them in there and it not you know, pollute the rest of the house in terms of noise. And it was like, well, maybe you could actually look at your bedroom having just a little bit more space that you can put a lovely chair or a day bed or something like that in there because chances are they're going to be coming in and out of there to go to the kitchen anyway. They're not going to keep that door closed. Look at where you can retreat to instead. Give them the run of those main living spaces. You know, look at then I have parents who say I really want, I, I don't want my bedroom at the front. It's like, well, sometimes your bedroom at the front could be handy because then you can see the teenagers are coming and going from your front door. You know, it's thinking about all those things. And when you work with an architect who's willing to kind of guide you and challenge you and say, and bring the experience of seeing other families living in homes over the long term, you can be much more 
intentional, I think, about those spaces that you create and not building all of that just in case might as well, you know, whilst we're here, you know, area that costs more to heat and cool. I'm seeing project homes with all these, with an ensuite to every bedroom and it's like, you know, oh, so it's like all that cleaning. <laughs> the financial cost, you know, I always say to people, let's look at the big picture. If you want that extra bedroom for $40,000, that price plus the interest on your home loan over its lifetime, what would that money mean to your family? You know, you could put up your guests in a nice hotel for a very long time before you're paying off that extra room or take your family on a trip or, you know, just, or retire a few years earlier. You know, um, people can get, as you say, really uh, angsty about we're doing this now, I have to do it right, we'll make sure it's big enough. But the you, you end up paying uh, more in the long run. And I think people struggle to appreciate, I didn't stress this earlier, that the smaller good design on a smaller scale and small footprint still can feel and function like yes. a much bigger home. And I think that's one of the advantages to the way we've operated is that we've got 77 completed projects around Canberra. We frequently have home opens and we can take people through our houses to see them. And they always go, no, this isn't 150 square metres. This must be bigger than that. Or if those ceilings are taller than 2.4 and go, no, it's, it's good design, good use of light. Um, great storage, you know, there's no dead space, it all works really well and beautiful connection to the outdoor spaces. So investing in design to get a smaller footprint that works really well um, can lead to huge savings and huge benefits. Yeah, that's so exciting. Oh, I just love this. So <laughs> now, Jenny, I recently did a series of episodes on Passive House. Many people in the UA community absolutely love them. They're now pursuing Passive House projects. I had lots of people email me telling me that one woman said she was about to ditch $7,000 worth of drawings because she just knew that it wasn't going to perform as a home and was wanting to change the way. Like this is what I feel is so possible is that homeowners get this. They get this and they're willing to put it into action because they know that it's meaningful full and it's going to work. And so I just love being able to bring this information to them. Now, when I actually read one of your articles that you'd written on your blog, it was written in June 2018, and I'll pop a link in the in the resources, you actually compared star ratings, which is our standard way of measuring our home's energy efficiency. Uh, and as I said earlier, we've got to have six at the moment. So and you compared that to Passive House. And you said in this article, I have learned over the last nine years that in houses we can achieve levels of performance equal to Passive House standards of energy use with tools that are readily available to the mainstream housing industry. I know this because I've overseen the design and build of such houses, testing them before, during and after construction. We don't use internal air barrier membranes, triple glazing or rely on heat recovery ventilation, but we do carefully design and build high quality, appropriately ventilated building envelopes suited to their local climate and test that our homes are built as designed and specified. If we are serious about affordability, then this needs to be discussed. It was literally like a mic drop moment when I read that. <laughs> it's like, now, you went on to make some recommendations for homeowners to achieve well-designed, great performing homes with conventional methods. Now, You've talked about some of these things, but I was wondering if you could expand on it because the feedback that I generally get is that when we're making our homes airtight, we then have to worry about the quality of the indoor air, mould, like that's the big pushback from building biologists. The bigger, the more airtight we make our homes, the more we got to worry about mould and condensation. How do you recommend homeowners approach this using standard methodologies, construction builders, without getting themselves into building homes that are actually not going to improve their well-being overall because of those condensation issues and those types of things? 
um, there's a couple of really important points in this, and I'm just going to say up front, um, there's an article coming out in Renew magazine that talks about condensation, and one in Sanctuary magazine that talks about mechanical ventilation that I've, I've just done recently. But um, I think there's a lot of confusion about this. Um, absolutely, people should be concerned. Air, air tightness and ventilation have to be, well, insulation, air tightness and ventilation all have to be considered together. A, a house is a complex thing, so it must be thought of holistically, because changing one can have detrimental effects on the other. And when we talk about um, condensation, there are two types of condensation, really. There's a condensation that happens inside a building envelope, also in the places we live in, so where we can see it. In the bathrooms is the classic spot where you see it most readily. But there's also condensation that happens inside the structure of the building, so inside the wall cavity, cavities and inside the roof spaces. And that actually happens a lot more when your building internal building envelope isn't airtight. So in classic Australian construction at the moment, it's very easy for moist air to get out of the space we live in and into the walls and roofs. And that's what's happening a lot at the moment. And that's causing mould to grow in places that you can't see. And that's leading to all sorts of health problems and rot in walls and degradation of the building um, fabric. So your house is falling down around you and you can't see it, but also making you sick. So that's happening right now. So within an emphasis on increased air tightness inside will actually reduce that sort of condensation in the, um, the building fabric on the walls and the roof. So that's a good thing. But then when we get too airtight, um, we can really compromise the indoor air quality. So that's where with passive house levels of air tightness, you, you have to have mechanical ventilation to keep the CO2 levels and the humidity levels nice and comfortable. Um, approach has to be has been to um, aim for that middle sort of middle ground um, which is in line with a lot of European um, countries and, and parts of North America and the UK where we our buildings aren't at passive house level because we don't have that internal air barrier but by as I mentioned earlier having a nice a well-designed um, gyp rock lining that's well sealed um, and having appropriate ventilation. So when you do use your bathrooms, you do run the exhaust fans while you're in the shower and for 20 minutes afterwards. And this is something we stress to our clients too. We're big on education. So after a client moves into a home, they get a home manual and we talk them through all of these things. And making sure you use, you know, in the, in the kitchen, you're using your exhaust fan and you're ducting that moisture out of the house. Um, so that's, that's quite simple to do. Um, if you go to a level of air tightness that we're on the verge of now with our houses, and like my, my current home um, is down at what they call 3.2 air changes per hour at 50 pascals. So it's still much leakier than a passive house, which is 0.6, but at a level where um, the indoor air quality can be compromised. So I have a little pair of um, heat recovery um, ventilators. I actually have two, three pairs in the house, but I find I only need to run them in winter when I completely close the house up because the rest of the year, even in Canberra's climate, um, most of the time, because the house performs so well and is so comfortable, we have windows open. So even in our bedroom over um, autumn and spring and, and the tail ends of winter, we will have a window open because our body heat is enough to warm up the bedroom without any other heating. Um, so look, I've gone on a bit there. But 
Um, did I answer your question? <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's fantastic because I think when you talk to people about Passive House and, and the importance of the fact that it has to be implemented as a system, it can become quite overwhelming to people, particularly if they might not have access to local certified professionals as well or certified builders and, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, gosh, it, it's literally it's almost a complete discard. I've got to have a terrible home. I can't have a Passive House. And what I love about what you're teaching is that there is a middle road of still a high-performing home that can be built in conventional ways with the right education and understanding and the right teamwork. And and you've still got a design process. Like one of the things that I loved so much about Passive House when I first learned about it was the iterative modelling that happened during the design phase and the ability to anticipate exactly how the house was going to perform as a complete home and then to the testing that happened during construction to actually make sure you were getting built what you'd designed. And cool. I th- the way you guys are working is that – you know, you're doing that anyway with your standard homes. So, and I stress that that's actually been possible in Australia for a long time. My, my fear, I came back ten years ago from training in the US, and I was hooked on passive house, and I thought, yay, this is the way to go. But I quickly discovered it does cost. It costs a lot more, and then people will find that out. And I'm not saying don't go down that path. If that's what you want, and you've got the budget that allows you to do it. Then go ahead. You'll get a great result. But it does cost more, and meanwhile, we have been able to demonstrate that you can achieve. Um, you know, the, the energy use at my house is is very small, and it is is up to passive house standard. The difference at my house is there is more. You know, passive house will say that you know they can maintain the internal temperatures at 20 degrees all year round. Whether they do or not is another thing. I haven't seen their collected data, but um. I in my house I do experience more temperature variation than that, but I also love that. You know, I don't want to be in a monotonous. Um, well, I, I certainly don't. I don't want to be in a monotonous, boring internal environment. I want to be able to respond to the climate, and and I want to really be sort of. I enjoy interacting with the outdoors, and with a passive house, you still can. You know, they stress you still can open windows and do things. Um, but I also want to make the point that the. The NATERS, the National um, Household Energy Rating System, the physics behind that, you know, developed and maintained by CSIRO over decades, is really smart and internationally respected. And it uses um, hourly meteorology, uh, 30 years worth of hourly data from 80 different climate zones across Australia, exact solar position, hourly solar position. And you, it was meant to be used as a design tool, and it hasn't. It's a, huge missed opportunities. So the building physics, clever building physics tailored to Australia's climate has been available for a long time. And that's what we use right throughout the design process. Um, so the building physics isn't new. Um, it's just the level um, the level that Passive House is aiming for, I feel, is not necessarily cost effective. I, the, what makes me a little bit nervous about Passive House as an architect um, is that I think people, I think it's really seductive for people because it gives these really clear rules um, that's, that it seems quite easy to follow and grasp onto, much like a certain diet, you know, we feel we have some certainty and something that we can follow. Um, but my fear is that often when those rules are given out, the design element can fall away um, so when we when the, when there's these strict rules to follow about the the physics part, it's easy to then forget about the design portion. And uh, I think the other thing we're really trying to stress is that you need both to get it right. So even for someone that is considering a, a passive house build, I would just really stress that um, 
Uh, sure, go for it, but don't forget the design. You, you, um, we have extreme seasons in Australia. We're not in uh, Northern Europe where it's predominantly cold all the time. We need a smart house that's designed well uh, to react to the seasons and the sun angles. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's interesting that one of the the Passive House project that I talked about on the podcast um, didn't start out as a passive house. It started out as a sustainably designed, architecturally designed home. And then the passive, the builder that they were speaking to was a passive house certified builder, tradesperson. And, and that then that process sort of came in. So it was quite interesting because it was quite a different approach. I have seen a lot of passive houses are very simple in their geometry, you know, not a lot of floor plan articulation because that that is a that can start to to be difficult to achieve the passive house certification but it was really interesting to see that this approach was quite different i agree with you i think that it it because it's formulaic it can make sense to people and i think if you if it's what you want to do like i can see it being hugely beneficial for people who've got uh, massive sensitivities with allergies and you know because of the um or live in say polluted areas because of the ability to just really control that indoor air quality but if you are concerned about your budget or you don't have access to those uh certified professionals nearby or you perhaps um you know that you're the kind of person like you were saying jenny like i'm the same i like being able to put on some extra my i've got my ugg boots on at the moment you know we've had this cold snap i like being able to do that rug up in winter where have a blanket over my knees you know um and in summer feeling the temperature i've never been one for having a constant air conditioned environment in any any place that i've lived or, or worked so I think that, yeah, and I think that we've got used to that. We work in air-conditioned places where it's always set at a main temperature. We come home and we expect our, our homes to be exactly the same and we always have the air-conditioner on set at 23 or 24 degrees. If that's how you want to live, then your passive house will deliver that for you because you will maintain that constant air temperature with fresh air, you know, going through the ventilation system. But if you're the kind of person who loves to feel the change of seasons, loves to feel those natural breezes, you know, that the storm at the end of the day, all that kind of stuff, and you're going to have your windows open predominantly most of the time anyway, then making the big thing I think is whatever building system you're doing that you make sure that it's not going to be something that grows mould and has that issue with rot because that is something that's becoming a massive problem. You know, my friend Alex Stewart that has the business Low Tox Life, she talks a lot about how damaging mould is to people. It's now being seen as a as a recognised um, issue for lots of people who have been battling all sorts of health conditions and have, and have not got the right kind of support or help to know that it's actually a mould illness. And, uh, and when you hear the stats of how many buildings are impacted by it and how many people have there's a uh, from what I understand there's a specific specific gene that makes you more susceptible to it if you've got that genetic makeup you know it's just a it's the the maths works out that that you chances are you're going to be impacted by it wherever you're at so if you're building and renovating then thinking about that's definitely a great opportunity so I think you've what you've shown is that it doesn't have to be this uh you know it's passive house or nothing that there is a way that you can achieve a good result that delivers those things. So yeah, super exciting. And I will pop that link because when I read that, when I read that that post, I was like, oh, oh look out! <laughs> <laughs> Here I've done like six or seven episodes on how awesome Passive House is, and is this going to confuse people? But it, it's it, what it shows is that it's possible to not have to do Passive House and still get a really good result. And if you can be aware that the air tightness. Um, needs to be considered like you were talking about air tightness, ventilation, insulation, so that you solve the other problems um, that building biologists talk about, then that's um, definitely worthwhile. So 
Um, now, Jenny, I actually recently read a quote by Steve Bacek, I think you pronounce his surname, who's an American architect. He said, it's not that high-performance houses cost too much, it's that our idea of a fairly priced home is based on the history of building houses to meet embarrassingly low performance benchmarks. Clients don't re- realise the difference between built to code and built to last. And I thought that quote just succinctly explained the problem that we are all contending with because when I jump onto forums online, people really excited about building low-cost, terribly performing homes. And I look across big developments where there's, you know, cookie cutter, all the same roofs, all dark colours, all built from brick veneer. And I see people asking, you know, can I build a four-bedroom, two-car, two-garage, um, two two-living room, th- you know, three-bathroom house for $220,000? Is that going to be enough? And I think how do we... You know, change this because I see a lot of homeowners really struggle to stay committed to that upfront investment of design and consultants in order to get that long-term payoff. You know, it feels like a really big bucket of money now that's not not that, you know, and the realisation of those savings doesn't seem kind of tangible. Um, you know, I, I really, if you were to tell the industry, how do we cut through this fast build, low design, low performing, incredibly low cost home environment? And how do we really encourage homeowners to demand and invest in something, you know, that's more deserving of our lifestyle and our living environments? What would that, what would that be? Big question. <laughs> yeah, it's a big question. There's so many things I want to um, go on with. I, I think one of the big problems is there haven't been good examples for people to see and experience and visit. So, um, again, I don't want to harp on about us a lot, but I think that's one of the reasons for our success is because we have been able to open our homes and show people how good they feel and how they, well they function. So people don't get to experience that because all of the housing is pretty crap. Um, so that, that's a big problem. Um, I think at the same time, though, demand is growing and public awareness is increasing rapidly. Uh, can I put a little plug in here for things like My Efficient Electric Home, which is a Facebook group that I'm a volunteer admin on, that is a vastly rapidly growing community of people who are interested in just this, you know, smaller, smarter houses and a big focus on PV and things. Collaborating with industry, explaining to them it's not horrible and hard and expensive, so that's why we're active members of the HIA and the MBA as well as the Institute of Architects. There are events like Sustainable House Day and Solar House Day. Um, We participate in other community events here in Canberra. Really, um, I come from a science communication background and I see architecture as an industry that really needs help communicating what it has to offer. Um, so we have to get out there and we have to interact more. And it was interesting, again, I'm going all over the place, but Sarah mentioned how she learned a lot um, in an interdisciplinary work practice. I learned so much. I thought I had a good appreciation of architecture. I learned so much about what architecture has to offer in those early years of our business. And, and you know, people don't under, have a strong understanding of that. So they need to, and it, it's hard to explain it to them, so they need to see and feel examples of work. Um, so I guess I encourage all architects or professionals who are in this industry to get out there and to talk about it and to have open homes and encourage their clients to open up for sustainable house day and things like that. Um, I think that's the main driver or the main thing. I think, although it's clear I have a bit of... Uh, concern about Passive House. I do think it's it's been great in that it's raised the profile of a sustainable housing because they do communicate and market very well. Um, 
So it's all about communication, communication, communication um, is, is the, I think, the thing that we've found effective and the only thing, you know, it's why we're doing podcasts with you. It's why we, why we do education at the university. It's because we want to have big impact and it, you can't have big impact if people don't know <laughs> about your work. So... Um, yeah, it's very true. You can't be what you can't see. And uh, and I think that that, that encouragement to – because everybody can go and walk through a display village of 40-plus homes that all are beautifully furnished and all look the piece and, you know, can, can immediately visualise what it's like to live in them and it feels very accessible because they can then walk to a catalogue and pick it out and say, I'll have that on my site, thanks very much. And uh, unless we can disrupt that process and – and teach I think I saw somebody talking yesterday I think it was um, Brody Norris from Lunchbox Architect he was talking about how people find because they probably don't necessarily understand 2D drawings they can't visualize the space as well when they see a 2D drawing it gets they get very impatient with that design process because they just want to get to the exciting part of their project and see things happening on site but if they can be patient and understand that that design process is so much of that integral part point of customising for their climate, their lifestyle, their family solution and architects and designers can really work with them to help keep them engaged and interested in why that design process is so valuable, then, yeah, I think that will go a long way. But it's it's just um, I find it so heartbreaking when I see homeowners consistently putting up these floor plans that are just going to be terrible performing homes and you just you just don't want to keep raining on people's parades and killing their dreams because they're so excited and it's just like you're about to build something that's going to last hopefully for a couple of decades at least. Chances are with the way that it's built it possibly will start not being like that and uh, and yet and you're going to invest hundreds of thousands of dollars and it's going to not deliver you the lifestyle that you're seeking because it can be so much better. So um, your house is your biggest investment that you'll make in your lifetime. It's the place you live, you spend all your time with, your, most of your time with the people you love the most. Surely it is the thing that you would invest in. You know, people do more research about cars than they do about houses and are willing to invest in a fancy car. But again, that's because they can see and feel and touch the fancy car. So again, I cry out to everyone in the industry, let people come and see and feel and touch and experience how good these houses are so that um, everybody wants one and knows that they can have one. That's brilliant. Sarah, I, th- I think as an architect working inside a practice like this, you'd have some incredible insight into the collaboration that goes into a fantastic home. I know I'm going to get emails asking what, where can I find a Jenny and Sarah in, you know, Victoria, where can I find a Jenny and Sarah in Perth? Because I always, whenever I introduce really awesome people that are location-based, <laughs> I'm like, where can I find their clone? But <laughs> it's, um, in terms of homeowners working with standard practices, how, or they're going straight to building designers or straight to a builder, um, how would you actually encourage them to invest their efforts and their funds to get that best result from their home and to draw the right team together? Yeah, I had to think really hard about this because my initial reaction too was find a good architect and find a good scientist. Um, but I, I thought, what would I tell a friend when we're out for a wine um, and they're doing their own project? Um, and I really distilled it down to three things and I'm going to refer to my notes as well. Um, and that's a lot of the things we've talked about. So number one is before you get too excited about anything, think really hard about what you want um, it's so easy to say, I want something to be bigger or I want another room. 
but we never say the equivalent, um, which is I want to spend more money, I want to use more resources, I want to pay bigger bills, I want less garden, <laughs> yeah. I want to lower the rest of the quality build so I can build it, or I want to retire later. You know, and that's the reality. So or I want really, to clean more. Yeah. <laughs> clean more, yeah, exactly. Number two um, is to be really critical specifically when it comes to um, sustainability and energy efficiency, I think we need to remember that it's a relatively new field um, and it's an evolving field and uh, you need to be smart about whether a certain approach is correct for your climate, specifically in such a big country like Australia. Um, and if you're trying to be ambitious about sustainability, in some ways I would recommend that a friend actually keep it simple. Um, or hire a professional because um, if you're in a space where yourself and your builder are out of your comfort zone, um, when it comes to orientation, insulation, uh, condensation and air leakage, all those things are working together in synergy um, and if you're not comfortable or your builder's not comfortable, it could result in an investment that doesn't work or worse, may end up in building health or rectification issues down the track. And number three is that Good design is always a good investment. Um, if you're going to do it yourself, borrow from other good designers. Um, you know, even if you're not hiring a professional, you can still access and learn from good design. Um, and if you are going to pay a professional, visit as many projects as, as you can before you commit. Talk to people that live in their houses, past clients, um, and discuss the outcome so that you can have realistic expectations. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic tips. I've learned from working with the UA community that when they're educated about what good design looks like and they can see examples, they are a force to be reckoned with because, you know, there are, it's amazing. I actually had a Skype with uh, one of my course members yesterday and she has put together this floor plan design and she's done it herself and it's, it's, it's better than some of the architectural work I've seen out there, you know, because she has religiously researched, listened, understood about orientation, studied Sunseeker app, looked at what the climate is in her area, all of these kinds of things, and has created this beautiful, clean, logical, well-designed outcome. And this is like homeowners need to, if they're so many homeowners, I say, get out an app and start drawing their floor plan in it and then take it straight to a builder and then trust that the builder will tell them if it's right or it's wrong. Instead, I find that there's some builders who are good designers, um, but a lot that aren't. They don't understand about designing for orientation. They're always looking about the simple, simple way to build something and get make it deliverable. So if you as a homeowner can empower yourself to really understand what's going to create a well-designed outcome, I think that's really great advice. So Sarah, you just did an awesome job of succinctly explaining. <laughs> Everybody will be booking a glass of wine with you too. <laughs> <laughs> Jenny and Sarah, you have been such jewels to find. You're incredibly clever bunnies in uh, what you do. And I can't thank you enough for the wisdom and the experience that you've shared so generously with the UA community. I can't wait to point them all in your direction. And I can't wait to actually get emails from people saying, how can I find out more about them? Because uh, I can't thank you enough for the time that you've given to uh, talk to me about just such a wide ranging, uh, you know, sort of lots of information and really actionable advice for homeowners who are building or renovating. So thank you so much. Did you find that helpful? I do hope so. 
I love how in this conversation, Jenny and Sarah actually help keep sustainability and creating a sustainable home really pragmatic and straightforward. I do see it get quite uh, quite complicated out there in the industry. You know, people do totally geek out on the building science of it all. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. But if you're not getting the basics right, then knowing all the detail and the science, it can actually be pretty pointless. And the basics, they're accessible for everyone. If you start with the size of your home, questioning what you really want and being really intentional about what is included and what isn't, and then you design to suit your site in its orientation, its climate and its natural assets. And then you create a great team so you can build in processes throughout the design and construction. So you're able to test and ensure that you're getting the outcome that you want and that the job is being done thoroughly and collaboratively. Now, if you want to grab more information on sustainable home design, please check out season eight of the podcast called A Simple Guide to a Sustainable Home. There's a huge range of episodes there on so many different different topics that are related to sustainable design, including solar power, energy efficiency assessments, window selection, passive house, plus loads more. And that's it for episode 223 and our reboot of one of year three's most listened to episodes on the Get It Right podcast. Be sure to tune into the next episode as I'm going to be sharing an update on this topic and providing you with some extra information and helpful resources when it comes to creating an affordable, sustainable home. At the time of recording these rebooted and updated episodes, there's actually some industry developments happening that I'd love to bring your attention to and ensure that you know about them because they're going to be necessary if you're designing, building or renovating in 2022 and beyond. All the links for this episode plus a full downloadable PDF transcript is available for free at www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 223. That's the numbers 223. So if you'd like to grab that, make sure you do. You can then have it and review and refer to later. Please share this podcast episode with family, friends, colleagues, even strangers, basically anyone that you know it may help so that we can get this information and knowledge into the ears and hands of as many homeowners as possible and improve their experience of designing, building and renovating their family homes. I love hearing the stories of those who found this podcast thanks to the generosity of another listener. It is just awesome. Now, if you haven't left a review on the Undercover Architect podcast, especially if you listen on iTunes, I would be so grateful if you please could. It really makes a difference in enabling this podcast to reach others that it can help. And it also ensures that I can continue to grow the podcast and get amazing guests and information on here as well. Be sure to tune in for our next episode, which lands each Tuesday morning to access helpful information and education in your project journey so that you can get it right as you design, build or renovate your family home. As always, thank you for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time, bye.